Previously on 80s High. I want each of us to come up with a top list of our favorite childhood sweet treats. Oh. And I want you to really think about the treats that you loved from childhood. Anything in a package that you couldn't wait to rip open and devour. I also want to talk about how 80s culture pushed these sugary treats into our hands and mouths, drove our parents up the wall. Fascinating. So not just cereal. Anything that was like a sugary... Anything a sugary treat. You know, we're talking candies, cookies, cereals, frozen treats, anything like that. With all of my fatal allergies, this is going to be a fascinating episode. (laughs) I like it. Welcome back, everyone, to... 80s High, the podcast that looks at one of the most tubular, bodacious, radical, bossa nova, cowabunga. This is too much. (laughs) No, no, bossa nova. You really hit the stride there. That was good. Bossa nova. That was too much. Okay. No, we're keeping it. First cut. That was great. Welcome back, everyone, to 80s High, the podcast that looks at one of the most bodacious, the most tubular decades in recorded history and says, cowabunga, dudes. I'm your host, Chris. And I'm Ben. And this is 80s High. I'm so sad in take two, you got rid of Bossa Nova. There's a reason Ben does it. He just belts it out in one go. Seasoned professional over there. It takes practice. We'll get into it. How's it going there, buddy? It's going great. The snow has melted away. The sun is shining. And the 80s are well and alive in this house. I This week, my 80s event, I cracked open to rewatch Aliens, oh. the sequel, which I haven't watched in a long time. So good. I think it's one of those movies that's great to uh, watch at different periods in your life. Because even now, I've watched that movie a bazillion times, had most of the toy collection, so that's another episode. But like... There's things I'm catching in the plot that I just don't remember before. Like, the whole reason Ellen Ripley agrees to go to the planet is because they revoke her space trucker license. And if she goes, they'll give it back. Yeah. She lost lost her job. So she's trying to get her job back. Was it Paul Rudd? No. Paul, uh, not Paul Reiser. Can you imagine Paul Rudd? (laughs) He would have been like eight. Oh, my God. Paul Reiser. Who, by the way, reprises his role as kind of a creepy dude in um, one of the seasons of Stranger Things, like season three, I think. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. But plays Burke in Aliens. I don't know what you would call him. He's just like some kind of liaison from the, whatever that name of that corporation is that runs everything. Wayland yutani Wayland yutani yeah, 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 yeah. I almost said Haddon Industries, but that's from, uh, <laughs> we're throwing all the things out here. The movie Contact. Had an industry. I love that we're just crushing our sci-fi corporate monster companies coming out right now. We've, we've totally retconned this entire episode. We're no longer talking about sweet treats. We are all down. <laughs> we're working on the our, rabbit hole. We're working uh, on our evil shadow Fortune 100 company list. Oh, t- <laughs> so good. But I can only assume that today's lunch menu is just chock full of just powdered sugar. <laughs> you might as well just open a big 
what's that one pound pack of sugar that you get <laughs> at the grocery store in the baking aisle? Crack that open and just start, you know, chugging on that sugar. I can guess what's on the menu. Because in this week, 80s high meets sugar high. So, 80s high does indeed meet sugar high. <laughs> Roll that beautiful bean footage. Attention, 80s high. I'm Lolo Ball here to share today's homeroom announcements. After student body president Ted Ruxpin lobbied hard on our behalf, we finally convinced Principal Belding to put a soda machine in the cafeteria. So drop in 50 cents at lunch and grab an ice-cold can of High C. Orange is my personal favorite. Then show your appreciation by following 80s High Podcast on Instagram. It's the choice of a new generation. Speaking of lunch, today's menu will be last week's leftover barbecue, a bag of chips, and a pickle. You know what would be totally tubular? Joining the class of 80s High. You get secret information about future episodes of the podcast and answer fun survey questions. Just say yes. Email 80shighpodcast at gmail.com to join. That's 80s. Our club meetings today are as follows. Our dodgeball team will meet in the gym for practice. Please be prompt. The game club will meet in room 83 for the weekly Mario Brothers Challenge. This week's winner will receive a cassette tape case. The drama club will be holding auditions in our music room for an upcoming musical from back in the 50s, Bye Bye Birdie. So come join us and bring your talent. And finally, our fighting mogwais will meet out on the field. Be sure to show them your support and team spirit at their game this Friday night when they play the Thundercats. Thank you and have a rad day. Go Mogwais! We should no longer dilly-dally and ride the sugar high wave all the way to history class, yes? I'm floating in a cloud of cotton candy right now. I'm going to mm. surf on over to history class. I'll see you there. Perfect. I vibrated the whole way here. Oh, my thoughts are racing a million miles a minute. <laughs> so are you going to start sometime around like 10 AD with like some sort of sugar trade across Asia? 500 billion years ago, the universe was but a speck. No. <laughs> you're going to pull a Carl Sagan on this episode. Billions and billions of years ago. So I don't have tons for history, but I did a little digging around and found something super fascinating mm. that you might have a thing to weigh in on. Ooh, I love it. I'm sure you will. <laughs> which is, I was really curious about the marketing of these <gasps> sweet treats. <laughs> Two children. I'm going to have some thoughts. Evil, evil marketers. These monsters. <laughs> if we were to ask, if we were to ask Big, and what was the other one? Big and something else hated marketing. Yeah, I can't remember. I'm sure there's many, many others. But um, I started to nose around in this a little bit and found out about the great marketing deregulation in the early 80s, Ooh. 1981 to be specific. This comes from an article in Medium. We'll put it in the show notes. So apparently there were rules in place since the 60s on what advertisers, how they could market to particularly children mm -hmm. and what products they could get in front of these young eyes. And remember, this is when television was coming out and talk about an untapped market. Ben, you're in marketing. If there's a market that's untapped, if there's eyes, ears, hearts, minds that is going to be lucrative and you can finally get in front of them, you that's like a gold mine. Oh, yeah. 
Plus children, I mean, you're, you know, in, in marketing, it's it's always cheaper to keep a customer coming back than to get a new customer. So you want to pump that lifetime value and get them while they're young. Not only that, but children also have a unique power that they call pester power. Oh, yeah. Very, this I, is great. Pester power. I like that. According to this article, children can influence up to as much as 95% of restaurant selections, Almost 90% of what beverages families buy and 80% of where a family vacation will be. Yeah. So kids have a profound influence, even if they don't realize it and they think they have no control of their little lives, on how their families spend money. So there was the Action for Children's Television, the ACT. It was formed in 1968. And this was like a grassroots foundation that wanted to improve the quality of children's programming. They did a lot of research. They talked to psychologists and researchers, and they found that children, especially young ones, cannot differentiate between a cartoon and a commercial. Just don't see the difference, right? Interesting. And so this was a basis for a lot of these regulations that were in place, particularly with the FCC, the Federal Communications Commission, there were limitations on what advertisers could even do. So they had a minimum of like hours of programming for children. Um, there could be no commercials during children's shows. Hosts could not sell, like so they couldn't promote a product to children. And they also had to disclose when they were pausing for a commercial. So that's, a, you know, if you think about the, we'll be back after this commercial break and all that kind of stuff, right? I mean, you know, as someone who loves to try and sell products and services, gosh, that all just sounds so responsible and logical and respectful of mental and physical health. I can't imagine. This has got to be still here and forever, right? So 1981, Ronald Reagan becomes president of the United States. Mm, I know someone who loves him some deregulation. Loves himself a bit of dereg. One of the deregulations, the head of FCC, he claims that the marketplace should dictate what was to be successful and nothing should stand in its way. This allowed all of these companies to market as much as they wanted to children. So this is why we have an explosion of new toys, cartoons, junk food, fast food, breakfast cereals. It's the Wild West. Free reign. And I didn't realize this. Like I didn't know that this happened specifically because of this deregulation. Yeah, and right at the start of the 80s. So this is really setting the tone for sugar and marketing and commercials for children in the 80s. Oh my gosh. Now the ACT that I mentioned, they tried to fight back. They created a task force. They really tried to push forward what was in the best interest of children, but they got outraised, outlobbied. Of course. Task force shut down. Oh my God. So there was a 300% increase in cartoons that had licensed characters because of this. 300%. That's insane. And the article says, look, as much as we love these shows, let's be realistic. They were nothing more than a 22-minute commercial to sell toys and products. Yeah, it is kind of a bummer when, when, uh, and I'm sure we're going to get into this countless times over the years to come, but, you know, when you look back on, like, the children's shows, especially the cartoon shows of the 80s that you may have just fallen in love with, as an adult, you look back and you're like, oh, this whole series exists to sell the associated action figures or the associated dolls. Well, there's two great examples, which were ones I love, G.I. Joe and Transformers. Oh, for sure. 100% sterling examples of that. So cereal and junk food manufacturers had free reign to disguise commercials as cartoons, and they understood that children identify more with cartoons than with reality. And then you add to this all of the anthropomorphized characters, yeah. right? 
kids trusted animals for some reason. Like, and that's why we had all of those car- cartoon characters. Like, uh, we had Tony the Tiger. Tony the Tiger. We had Toucan Sam. Toucan Sam. Smack, Sugar Smacks. Oh, yeah. The, 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 frog? the frog. The frog. Who's the rabbit from Lucky? From uh, Oh, Tricks. Tricks. The Tricks rabbit. Yeah. A lot of cartoon animals saying, hey, it's okay to eat as much of this as you want. And even Camel Joe. Well, yeah, I mean, he was obviously... Basically selling cigarettes to children. Right, the most popular cartoon kid's friend of the 80s, Joe the Camel. Joe the Smoking Camel. Oh, my God. Like, that is definitely a thing generations of the future are going to look back and be like, what? What? There was allowed to be a cartoon camel pushing cigarettes on children? What? With sunglasses and a leather jacket. It was so cool. It was so cool. (laughs) I heard he had guest jeans on, too, in the 90s. (laughs) So... There was some regulation that was reinstituted in the 90s, but by that point, manufacturers had found ways around them, and they had this practically decade of built up all of this momentum. So anything was just going to be a a minor bump in the road, no real roadblocks. So that, again, I thought was really interesting. I didn't realize there was such this uh, watershed moment in my lifetime that made all the difference uh, and really shaped how my childhood was experienced. I thought that was really terrifying slash fascinating interesting i mean i know the deregulations of the early 80s started a cascade of a lot of really bad stuff but i didn't know that the sugar and the advertising thing was the kickoff and boy did that set a trend that was really hard to try and turn around for maybe a couple decades i would argue to this day quite honestly yeah probably okay so let's get to the main topic which is 1980s all those sweets and treats those delicious, delectable, gotta get your mouth, teeth, hands, face in it. We loved it. We couldn't deny it. Let's go to chemistry and uh, cook us up a, uh, some tasty treats. It feels like Breaking Bad. Let's go cook up something in chemistry. And now I'm imagining Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory re-envisioned as a Walter White type character. <laughs> Or he's made this chocolate that's like 97% or percent pure or whatever, but it turns blue. It's like a blue chocolate. I would watch that, like a really dark, twisted Willy Wonka. I mean, it's kind of dark and twisted chocolate. already, so. Yeah, yeah, but like. But you know, yeah, yeah. Turn up the screws a little bit more. For sure. Okay, Ben, so much ground to cover. But first and foremost, you, Ben, mm. are a lifelong warrior against a legion of allergies. <laughs> that is true. I suspect there were many treats on the no-go list for Little Ben. And so I was wondering, could you give us a quick rundown of all the allergies that stand in the way of your joy? Between me and almond joy. Mmm. Oh. So yes, I, in time immemorial, have a series of fatal food allergies. That means, like, if you eat it, you go into anaphylactic shock, your throat closes up, you go to the ER... Hopefully you make it. Not everybody does. These are very serious allergies. This is not like the movie Hitch. It's not funny. It's terrible time. So these all got discovered early on through skin tests and blood work. And so up until the age of 10, I was fatally allergic to all nuts, eggs, shellfish, and chocolate. (sighs) So this all puts me in a bit of a black hole for this episode because, you know, that kind of age range of like 4 to 10, 4 to 9 is like you know, where you hone in on these treats that you love. It wasn't just like I was a picky eater and didn't like them. They could kill me if I ingested them. Right. I outgrew chocolate at the age of 10, which we can get into later. 
Okay. But uh, really, so there's, that's a big black hole for me. Uh, for sweet treats. Because that also means like, so when you think of eggs, you're like, oh, eggs aren't a big deal. That's ice cream. That's cupcakes. That's cake. That's brownies. This um, isn't just raw eggs or like cooked up eggs. It baked in egg is still a problem. Exactly. Cookies. Oh, okay. Couldn't do cookies. Okay. When it comes to candy, you've got like French chew that's got egg in it. So uh, Could you eat yeah. a Cadbury egg? <laughs> <laughs> After 10. It's a great question. I got to look up the ingredients <laughs> in a Cadbury egg. The cream, the cream inside would make me nervous about egg. I'd have to check. Fair but enough. That's a good question. It's a good question. I'm sure it's going to come up when we start talking about favorites. If you're like no chocolate before ten, again, we don't want to be one of those people to stomp on your joy. But there's a very good reason. It's not just because you were, you know, a snooty a kid. Picky annoying you're, like, you're like, I, I'm, I'm going to choose life. Uh, choose life. By the way, dried egg white is in a Cadbury egg. So no, I've oh, never, I've never had a Cadbury egg. I guess. Darn it. Yeah. Who knows? Cadbury. Are they good? Um, I've always wondered what chocolate eggs laid by mammal rabbit tasted like. I was just always really curious. They're interesting. I mean, it's unlike a lot of other candy you would find out there. Okay. All right. Okay. So overall impressions, the good, the bad, the ugly. I want to talk about what are some of the things that we love. So what were some of the things you, A, could enjoy and B, did enjoy? Yeah. So the sweet treats that I loved, a really big one on my list were nerds. Mm. Did you ever eat nerds? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So if anyone had these, these are little tiny, bright neon colored clumps of sugar. Super tiny. Really, really tiny. They came in like a box, almost like um, the size of like Tic Tacs. A little bigger. A little bigger. A little bigger. Nerds were launched in 1983 by the Sunmark Corporation under Wonka Candy. But what was cool is the box would have separate flavor compartments. So the box would be divided down the middle. And uh, there were two different colors in a box. And each one had a, a different sliding opener at the top. So you could yes. shake out a different color, yep. which was awesome. You have these little tiny candies. It's a fun kind of candy to see how many you can jam in your mouth, like you're eating the whole thing kind of thing. 100%. But a factory worker said, basically, we start off with a sugar crystal and we just keep coating it with more sugar. <laughs> so much sugar. I mean, not surprising. This one's really interesting. So in 1942, there was a powdered sugary drink mix called Frizzola Jr. by the <laughs> Frizzola Company in Salt Lake City, Utah. Okay. The founder, when Jay Fish Smith learned that children were just pouring the drink mix straight into their mouth before making the drink, he was like, that's genius. I'll just sell the, the sugar mix and I'll call it Lickamade, which is the uh, origin. Yeah. Of both Fun Dip and Pixie Sticks. Yes. Oh my gosh. Did you eat either of those? Were those a thing? I freaking loved Fun Dip. Yeah. Oh my God. Why do you love Fun Dip so much? It's flavored sugar that you eat with a sugar stick. Yeah. Do I need to say anything need, else? Need I say more, sir? I, I take offense to <laughs> your question, sir. <laughs> How dare you? For some reason, there was something satisfying about scraping it out of the little corners oh, yeah. with the thing. I don't know. It was just a, it, the stick, honestly. It was, a, it was a unique experience eating it. And the fact that the more you lick the stick, the more it picked up the sugar. It's very, it's very chimpanzee tool discovery. You know, it's, it's, it's you're trying to get into a termite mound and you're just licking the stick, getting in there, seeing what you got. It's a great uh, discovery. Wonderful analogy. By Pixie the way. sticks were huge for me because there was like a sixth grade carnival, I remember, and there'd be a table with a huge, like a styrofoam pallet. And it would have hundreds of pixie sticks vertically stabbed into it. And for like a ticket, you could draw a pixie stick. And some of them had like, they were, somebody had drawn like Sharpie on the bottom of it. So if you pull the right pixie stick, you get a prize if it has the dark on it. But if you lose, you still get pixie sticks. So I'd come home from, from the thing with like 
an insane amount of tubes of sugar at Pixie Sticks. So I basically you them. never lost. You just maybe won more. Yeah, it's all about perspective. I just won more. And then eventually they came <laughs> out with like the yard long plastic Pixie Sticks. Oh my goodness. That was like, they were as thick as like a bubble tea kind of straw. That oh. was, that was out of control. Good gracious. I've got one more candy and then I okay. can take a breather. Uh, it comes out a little bit later. Were you someone who ever liked Warheads? Warheads? It is a very, like, sour, intense candy. Warheads. Uh, so they came out in 1975 in Taiwan, uh, and then the Ford and Candy Company imported it to the U.S. in 93, so it's, like, right, af- it's right after the 80s, so it's, you know, it's on our little blurry line. But each piece of candy is coated in a layer of malic acid, citric acid, and ascorbic acid. Malic acid is the same acid that comes from green apples, so it's just this, oh. like, insane sour smack to your face. So I probably would not have liked those because I wasn't big on sour candy. Like Sour Patch Kids did not understand the joy of that. And I hated green apples. I still do. I do not like green apples. I mean, if you've got red apples as a choice, why even go green? I mean, come on. The only reason I think green works is, um, aren't they usually with, are used in pies, like apple pies? Uh, I think think those are green apples. So that's probably it. But just to sit there, like the candy, the caramel apples, I'll just say that was on my no-no list. Caramel apples? Yeah, because it was a green apple and it was caramel. I didn't really like either as a kid. So oh. I was like, no, no, no. Yeah. Usually I had to dodge those because they would be like mixed on a table. Like some would be rolled in nuts. Mm. And then well, yeah, they nut, did roll in nuts And then I can't go anywhere near that. It's kind of a bummer. For sure. Those were like the top candies. Were there other candies that you were like, that was my jam? I loved Snickers candy bars. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Which is basically a murder stick for eight-year-old Ben. Oh, it'd be uh, terrible. it's chocolate nuts. It's game over. Snickers never felt like a kid's candy for some reason. Like, it felt like an adult candy. Not like Fifth Avenue or 100 Grand, like the, yeah. <laughs> the adult candy bars. But I freaking loved it. That was by far my favorite candy bar. Snickers, huh? Cannot deny, again, another no-no for Ben, Reese's. Specifically peanut butter cups oh, and no. pieces. I am a little peanut butter fanatic. This will be a continuation throughout this episode. <laughs> I love peanut butter cups. I love Reese's Pieces. E.T. apparently sold me. I would just gobble those things down. And basically everything the Reese's Corporation has put out, I love. So you're like a Reese's brand fanatic. Like they've got you. If you see it, you'll give it a shot. We'll talk about in contemporary culture. I've moved a little bit from Reese's and oh. for, for a very good reason, which we'll get back to. Oh. But, but historically, yes. Historically, very much so. Oh, look at you growing up. That's exciting. Wow. All right. They made Reese's sticks. They're like Kit Kat, but they're Reese's sticks. Oh, I have finally been able to have a Kit Kat. That would be great. Big chocolate candy kid. Okay. I will say I did not like a lot of fruity candies. Oh, they really like Jolly Ranchers. Starburst were okay. Like Nerds was an exception, although I would not call that fruity because he says basically just sugar. You've just drummed up a memory I haven't thought about in such a long time, and I didn't even prep this for this episode. I remember in third grade English class, we had a teacher who, and we'll get into this in contemporary culture, mm. rewarded good performance with sugar. Sure. And he had a giant glass jar on its desk with light translucent blue peppermints in them which he called mm. smurf berries interesting he was very much into smurfs and if you like you know raised your hand got a question correct he would throw a you know in a little wrapper you know like the old grandma kind of wrappers individually wrapped candies oh yeah nondescript candies 
Yeah, Smurf berries. God, Smurf I forgot berries. about those. Awesome. There's like Smarties. There were oh Smarties. Yeah, come on. Yeah, like just just a ton of those like fruity Skittles. I some were okay, but they were never my go-to. Smarties was that kind of like boring chalk candy that like if someone gave that to you in your Halloween trick or treat bag, you'd go back to toilet paper their house that night. I would say that's not a gross offender on my list, okay, but I okay, could okay. totally see why people, when it has the texture of rubber or chalk, yeah. I do not fault anybody for wanting to go TP the crap out of someone's Yeah, house. no, I've got a list of people from when I was nine who gave out chalky candy, for sure. Yeah. I'm still yeah. getting around they're, to it. They're still on your list at yeah, this Yeah, for sure. I'm going to get around to them. Okay, so you mentioned candy specifically. You have other things, it sounds like. Well, I do, I, uh, but I thought the candy was a good segue. So we, we asked the class of 80s, hi- Yes. What were their favorite sweet treats from the 80s? And most people came back with candy. So I thought this was a good time to bring it up. Let's throw it in there. This is great. Okay. We can just go back and forth. So 80s high member Mikey says, zebra fruit stripe gum all the way. The stuff was 10 second gum in every way possible, but I love the different flavors and colors. I completely agree. I, I mean, we can talk about gums a lot. I had a lot of favorites. I did not really like fruit stripe, but Ben, did you ever have like Bubble Yum or Bubblicious. Yeah. So I feel the same way. Fruit Stripe and was it Bazooka? Bazooka Bubblegum maybe? Bazooka lasted mm. even longer, I think, because Bazooka was the gum that came with a comic strip. Yep. But yeah, like exactly. Like what a waste of candy. This flavor's gone after three chews. Come on. Well, Big League Chew, which I'm sure we'll talk about, oh, is yeah. another one of my favorites. But you're right. All of those, I loved them, but they lost... I mean, every gum does, but they lost their flavor in no time. So disappointing. But a great ploy because you just sell more gum. Because yeah. you're like, oh, keep popping the sticks in. Ran out. Right. What's that called? Like designed designed failure or something? Um, Built-in obsolescence. Yeah, right? that's is what it, it is. Kinda... Yeah. <laughs> that was the first meeting of Fruit Strike Gum. Let's make sure this that's fails right. fast. I know how to hook these children now. <laughs> I'm an evil marketer. <laughs> <laughs> that evil marketing comes back. We asked our uh, listeners what their pseudo sugar name was. So this comes from Sweet Cheeks. Oh, so good. And Sweet Cheeks says, as for candy, I'm going to be one of the, I assume, many people who say they miss candy cigarettes. Because look, if I could get just the stick from Fun Dip, that's what I'd do. Uh, one candy I truly miss from the 80s is Bonkers. I don't even know what Bonkers is. Do you ever have Bonkers? Uh, I'm going to look it up. Okay. But he goes on to say there were some tangy ones, sure, but there was a vanilla peach flavor that I still pine for. But the one thing that still haunts me is the Dr. Pepper flavored gum with goop in the center. My kingdom for a Dr. Pepper goop gum. And he like shakes his hand into the into the sky. Was that do you know what that is? I don't know what that is either. So imagine a gum like in a little hmm, it's almost like a little pillow or a square. Okay. And you bite into it, and what bursts forth from it is toothpaste gel God, that's what the texture was like interesting so they had a dr pepper gum and i know they had some others i can't remember right now but they had these like goopy gums where they had this soft not liquid but more of like a gel center oh my god they were really gross because you would like your teeth would break through and then you would just get this like it felt like to me it felt like the gel toothpaste just exploding in your mouth this is kind of like a precursor to gushers probably yes okay I looked at Bonkers. I don't remember it after all. It sounded familiar, but it's 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 a fruity gum, or a, I'm sorry, it's a fruity. It's almost like a it looks very like much like Starburst. When I try to think of Bonkers in my head, it makes me think of there was like a cartoon in the early '90s about like a cheetah or a leopard who was like a police officer. That's the only actually when I, it's funny you mentioned that when I did a Google search for it, a that's picture what came of that, up. That character came that's up. That's all so. I can think of. And then he just finishes off with red cream soda. He basically just explains red cream soda was like his jam drink. 
back mm. then. Okay, what, what did the what did the last person say? So this one comes from Chicklet. <laughs> Chicklet says, "I love Chicklet gum, aptly named. There were tiny, cute pieces of gum." And love fun dip. Come on, who didn't want colored sugar you could eat with a sugar stick? Chiclet, a thousand percent agree. Yeah, I remember chiclets. And they had a fun packaging, the little paper kind of packet that you would get a bunch in. Yeah. It's cool. I like it. That was another one that, that played with the texture of gum, but I the the crunchy shell that then it was normal gum after you chewed it away was fine. But that goopy center, no thank you. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'd like to transition into cereals. Oh, yes. Let's do it. And I was never a big cereal guy. So I, but at home, the only cereal that I got was. Wait, are you allergic to dairy? I can't remember. No. Okay. No, I can do, yeah, I can do dairy. I would do Cheerios. Just the boring yellow box Cheerios was my cereal. This explains up. so much about you. This so- explains so, <laughs> so much. You know, my parents didn't want to overexcite me before the day at school. That's true. We, we did already uh, establish that young Ben was. I was a lot. Like, Operating at a thousand percent energy. And so my folks also uh, ate like Raisin Bran. So I'd like tap into that sometimes. But before I tell you the cereal that was special for me in the 80s, I do need to get into there is a hot debate in our household that comes up frequently. Wait, like currently? Oh, yeah, all the time. I'm sorry. I I was just establishing not when you were a kid. No, no, no. Right now. In the the present times. uh, And especially any time before where we would have like guests, overnight guests. This was always a big thing for brunch the next day. When you have a bowl of cereal, what goes into the bowl first? The cereal or the milk? Okay. Are you asking my opinion? I, I am asking you. I think as a kid, my answer was cereal than milk. You would pour the milk to the level that met the cereal in it. Yeah. As an adult, I like the milk cold, so I'll actually put it in a bowl and then put that in the freezer for a little bit so the milk gets really cold, and then I'll take it out and add the cereal. That's like a pro cereal move. I didn't even know that was an option. It's really good. I like really cold milk, and so, yeah. So I do it for that reason only. If I wasn't like getting the milk really cold, I'd probably still put the cereal in first, and then, yeah, you pour in the right amount of milk to complement it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, Interesting. And I had a very specific reason why, and I don't know if this comes up. I find drinking the milk at the end of the bowl disgusting. Mm. And I don't know why. I refuse to do it. It grossed me out when other kids did it. To this very day, if I had any extra milk, that's going down the drain. Sorry. I know. It's usually not a lot, but I I don't know what it is about tipping that bowl. Ugh, just thinking about it now it grosses me out. Oh, my so God. I, what, what a, that's, that's interesting. I can't believe you throw good milk, though. I would just keep eating cereal until all the milk was gone. I mean, if there was enough milk left, I'd pour a bit more cereal in yeah. to finish it. But I'm, I'm talking about like the dregs at the bottom. Okay. Like I'm not going to sit there. Like it's gross. I will say for me, it's very context dependent. If it was a sugary cereal, then I probably would drink the milk. Because it'd be all the sugar. Yeah. But if it's just, yeah, it's just like the crumbs down in the very bottom and you're like, ah, come on. I'm never going to show my hand and explain what side of the fence I fall on this. However... Because, you know, I, I don't need to throw my partner under the bus. Because Ben loves secrets. I do love secrets. But this was one of those things that my partner and I have been together for over a decade. And this was one of those things that just like a couple years ago came out. It was something that I never knew people did a different way. Like, I thought the way that I did it was the way that everybody in the world ate cereal. Like how you tie your shoes. Or, yeah. You know, and then it blows your mind. Someone's like, wait, you do it that way? And you're yeah. like, what? Yeah. yeah. And it was one of those, like, we were sitting at the table, and she prepared her cereal, and I was like, what lunacy are you executing right now? 
it was a whole thing. Anyway, this case. So yeah, that was that was a roundabout way to get back to say. However, on Sundays late morning, my family would often, when I was growing up, would go out to brunch. Mm. Brunch always had the selection of tiny little cereal boxes. Oh, those tiny boxes! And it was such a way to like be exposed to a new cereal. And so when we went out, I treated myself to something that many people would describe as great frosted flakes. Frosted flakes. Uh Introduced in the U.S. in 1952 by the Kellogg Company as sugar frosted flakes. But in 83, interestingly enough, around the time of your deregulation, they dropped sugar from it. Sugar frosted flakes. And this is totally random. In Australia, they call them Frosties, and they get two out of five stars on the government's health star rating. Wow, two? I'm actually surprised it gets that many. I know. Well, you know, it's, it's the flakes <laughs> in the middle, I guess. Balances I guess they're out. like, well, there's maybe a little bit of like bran or some, you know, oats or something that's kind of good for you, fiber. <laughs> no. Uh, now, were there sugary cereals that were like your jam? I mean, Frosted Flakes were good. Yeah. Frosted Mini Wheats. Was one of my favorites. Oh, Love interesting. Frosted mini wheats. Just to keep yourself regular, but to get sugar also. No, there's something about the texture, like the woven texture. I just oh. really loved it. And sometimes it would be crusted with that sugary topping on it. Oh, yeah, but you had, to, that was the you had to soak those bad boys in milk. Otherwise, your hard palate was going to become a soft oh, absolutely. Palate. That was part of the fun of it. You had to get it at the right. It wasn't too soggy, but it was just enough. Yeah. Yeah, for it, sure. It's always that balance. Uh, cookie crisp. I love... Cookie Crisp. Cookie Crisp. Yeah, for sure. Fruity Pebbles. Oh, that was the Flintstones cereal, right? Flintstones. Fruity Pebbles. Freaking love those. Pebbles, because Pebbles is one of the kids, right? It's the Flintstones' daughter. That's the daughter. Okay, yeah. And then the one other memory I have, because you brought it up and it reminded me, uh, well, two things I'll say. The one is when I go to my grandmother's house, she usually had Bran Flakes or Special K. But then I'd go to this little dispenser she had in the corner, and it had these little drawers you pull out. One of them was full of sugar with a scoop in it. What? And I would dump so much sugar, (laughs) mix it in, and then I would eat it. When I got to the bottom, there'd often be, because, you know, sugar doesn't always dissolve very well. And so there'd always be this, like, sediment of sugar at the bottom that I would then scrape up with the spoon and eat sugar Oh my God. How am I still alive? That's the question. Come on. That's insane. No, it's nuts. It's nuts. And then the last thing I did want to mention about cereal, I mean, there's tons of other cereals I liked, but the last thing I do want to mention is those tiny boxes. I remember we would go to the store and they would have like a 12 pack or like a 24 pack where you would have a bunch of those little boxes in it. And that was so cool to me. (laughs) But I'd always want to look because sometimes there's cereals in there you didn't care for as much. I was like, where can I get my variety pack? But, uh, Raisin Bran? No, thank right. you. Raisins belong in nothing. Right. Who's trying to sneak in cornflakes next to my Pops and Lucky Charms, you jerks? I already know in a previous episode I referred to raisins as a trash snack, and I will stand heartily yeah, by no. that. They're, raisins are good in zero forms. I will fight anybody on that. Big Grape is coming after you, for sure, after Big that <laughs> statement. They're so angry. Trash snack. Trash anyway, snack. Ugh, that's my cereal business. So you went to your uh, grandma's. To get to the the sugar drawer. When we visited my extended family in a small rural town for the holidays, uh, there was a steakhouse in that town called Haas's. And we Mm. would always go there for dinner. It had like a buffet to serve yourself, which like as a little kid was also novel of like, I'm going to go get whatever I want. Yeah. I'm coming back with a a plate full of uh, raisins and chicken wings. I don't know what a kid would grab. (laughs) At the register, I would go up with my grandfather when he would pay. 
And on sort of an axis was a candy jar about the size of a cantaloupe that if you would tilt it, the candy would come out from the thing. And you didn't have to pay for it. You could have as much Mm. as you want. And it were these little powdery pastel mints. This like multicolored pastel mints, like yellow, white, blue, green, mm-hmm, yellow. Mm-hmm. And they were chalky and dusty on the outside, but they, they were yep. like soft mints you could crunch through. Yep. And I would just get those by the fistfuls on our way out and just eat them all the way home. Yeah. But that was my special source. But we asked the class of 80s, hi, who was your pusher? Who was your dealer? Where did you get your sugary fix? What was your dispensary for your all dispensary? of your ill-gotten needs? So one of the response, my brother was older, so when I'd go with him to the store, he'd let me pick a treat at the cash register. Similarly, cash registers that last like uh, what us evil marketers call a point of purchase. Oh, and it's a yes. great impulse buy on your way out. Supermarket checkout lanes. Yeah. That's why they're loaded with low-hanging fruit. Right. Literally all the little candies at kid eye level. It's, oh, yeah. It's because you're weak. You're weak at that point. You finish your shopping. You're like, oh, I got everything I needed. Good. I'm and it's done. a captive audience. Yeah. Captive audience, yeah. right? You're like, oh, I got everything. Oh, but I didn't get bubble yum. You know what that is? That's peak pester power peak right there. Mom, 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 mom. I just want to I want M&M's. Yeah. <laughs> and of course, parents didn't want you to make a scene. So they're like, all right, this will shut right, up. Shut up. I'll just throw this. I will shove this entire cow tail down your throat to keep you quiet. Stop talking. (laughs) Okay. My elementary school, which I walked to unescorted. Oh, I hear you. Yeah. Remember those days? Was right next to a Kroger. Kroger is a very popular grocery store chain. Mm -hmm. Plus, the whole spring and summer, I was never more than 100 feet from a Little League baseball field or public pool concession stand. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Pool concession stands were the business. At some point, I just think summer pool would be a great topic for this episode, for this oh, yeah. for this show. Just that whole culture of having your, your 10 bucks in your pocket and you go up to the concession stand and it's like all this candy you don't see anywhere else. It was awesome. That will be a topic. I have a great story for that. So, always have fond memories of road trips, and my parents giving us a couple bucks at every gas stop to pick out snacks. Mm. Which, again, I think there's, there's, there's fun, like, empowerment as a child, memories around independence or, like, responsibility you were given. Yeah. And so that idea to be like, just go loose in the grocery store and get whatever the money we gave you can afford. It's kind of awesome and exciting as a kid. It was. Yeah, you had choice and you, you know, you had some confines, but you got to decide how it was spent. Yeah, you got to... Find out, you know, how far you could stretch that dollar. Exactly. And then another uh, memory was downtown where I lived. There was a Walgreens and also the White Hen Pantry. Both, they've indicated, no longer around. Uh, Well, they dealt too much sugar to kids. And so they got fined eventually, I guess. (laughs) So I mentioned my grandparents' house. Yeah. And not only was there apparently a drawer full of sugar that I could just... Yeah, what Scoop the heck? copious handfuls into. It was actually cocaine. Your, your grandma was some Colombian drug lord. Like if I was going to my grandma's house for a weekend or if it was in the summer and I might be there for a week or so, she would always ask me, she'd call me on the phone, what do you want me to get for you at the store? Oh, okay. They had like a second fridge where my grandfather had like beer, but they'd also put in these like 24 packs of Mountain Dew, oh my God. Coke, yeah, whatever we wanted. She'd stock the pantry. Of course, I always liked ice cream. She'd go get ice cream. We had these microwave malts. They were like frozen solid. You put them in the microwave oh, and they yeah. become more like a malt, uh, micro malts, I think they were called. Yeah. 
any of the like sweet treats we wanted, she would go get them for us. And when we arrived, sugar heaven. Oh, that's awesome. So she was a big pusher, big time. Well, I would say trick-or-treating was like my main source of candy. For sure. I was just not a sweet treat kind of kid. I mean, we're going to get more to this in contemporary culture. But again, because of my allergies, I was so limited. Anyway, that I was much more of like a salty snack kind of kid. Mm. Which... Might as well tell you now. It's kind of funny. So Halloween for me, in the height of my allergies, this is what would happen. I would get home from trick-or-treating. And if you were at a sleepover, first of all, I had no leverage in trading the candy at a sleepover because they knew it would kill me. So it it held no value for me. So I'd be like, hey, I'll trade you this French chew for your huge pack of Twizzlers. And they're like, dude, you can't even eat the French chew. I'm not giving you Twizzlers. Here's some Smarties for it if you want. Wow, they weren't even throwing you a bone. Yeah, so I had no leverage in trading. But then when Dang. I, if you know, when I'd actually get home, I would have to dump my bag out and literally sit there and pick through the candy and make a pile of everything I've allergic to. Which honestly was like, it was easily two thirds, four fifths of the bag. Oh, and then easily, that yeah. would go in the bowl to my parents, and then I would have this <laughs> tiny bowl left over of like Smarties, Skittles, and Twizzlers and candy corn. Oh. But then like you, the grandparents were the big pushers. So similarly, whenever we were going to visit, I mean, they always had little dishes of candy all over the place. That sort of nondescript senior sort of candies that were always individually wrapped and didn't have a brand name on it. Those ones that are wrapped up like little strawberries, you know, that kind of stuff. Brock's was a company that did a lot of those. Yeah. They'd have like the um, the cinnamon candies. Yeah, yeah. I think, yeah. That's maybe probably, like a toffee or butterscotch. That's yep. probably the brand name. But um what my grandma loved to make for me was Rice Krispie treats. Mm. And she would always make a ton of Rice Krispie treats. Yeah. Uh, she would also make popcorn balls without the peanuts in them. Mm. And to this day, one of my most valued ephemera from my grandparents as was when my grandmother sat down and wrote out literally like the 41-step recipe to popcorn balls. Wow. And I still have that like old lined ruled paper with her handwriting on it about that. And it's- That's so cool. They're really hard to make, by the way. That took love and patience. They're so hard. I didn't realize that. Oh my God. Oh my God. That's crazy. Anyway, so that was my pusher. Did you ever have ice cream trucks going around your neighborhood, playing the music, driving slow, kids could run up? Was that a thing? Yeah. I could definitely hear the music in my head. Like Pop Goes the Weasel, of course. And you sprint Mm. out- I feel like it was something that really flew by, like, wherever there was pools. Like, the public pool, I remember, would visit the public pool and you all run out to do that. Was that a big thing in your neighborhood? It wasn't a big thing, but I remember it was always cool when there was one around. Like, oh, wow, I can just run up there and get a, what were some of the, like, the bomb pop or... Oh, yeah, there'd be, like, a really... Fudge-sickle. A melted, sad one that's supposed to be a Ninja Turtle face. Oh, yeah. Definitely mutant. Rocket pop, the red, white, and blue kind of rocket one. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah. I don't know when it happened, but I feel like eventually ice cream trucks got kind of a stigma around them that they were like kind of creepy. Yeah, I definitely had that whole stint. Like there was something that came around. I don't know if it was like urban legend, folklore, or whatever. In the 90s, they became sort of like, uh, it was like the main evil villain in the PlayStation series Twisted Metal. Sweet Tooth. Sweet Tooth. (laughs) Sweet Tooth was a bad guy. Sweet Tooth was a bad guy. That's right. I forgot about that. Oh, the last thing I did want to mention yeah. about locations. Yeah. 
were restaurants, particularly, I mean, there's so many I can talk about, but there's two that really loom large because I'm a big ice cream lover. Okay. So in addition to like the chocolate stuff, love, love ice cream. I've always been mocked because I eat way too much ice cream, <laughs> way bigger portions than I should. Again, how I'm not dead of sugar poisoning to this day Nobody is knows. a mystery to me. But two of the big places that had so many amazing things. One, of course, Dairy Queen. Oh, yeah. The DQ. Blizzards especially, when those came out in my childhood, what was it, early mid-80s, such a big deal. Loved those things. But they had the Mr. Misty's, like the little frozen fruit slushy things, the dilly bars, so much good stuff. Yeah. And then another one, and Ben, I think you would know this place, Friendly's. Do you remember Friendly's? Oh my god. Uh, yes, we have lots of connections to Friendly's, for sure. Yeah, so that was another place where it's kind of like this, if you're not from... I don't know exactly where it is. It's definitely a Midwest thing, but it, I know it's fairly localized or regional. It's kind of like a normal restaurant, but they just had this really big selection of ice cream stuff and these really big like sundaes and parfaits. Oh, yeah. And they were huge and they come in like the glass goblet. It was like a big deal. Banana split. They just had so many great treats. And one of them I loved was the peanut buster parfait. Peanut buster parfait. Oh, no, That's wait. a mouthful. That actually might be a Dairy Queen one. They had some kind of Reese's Pieces with like chocolate sauce and peanut butter sauce. Oh my God. It was insane. So I'm originally from New England. The town I was from had a friendlies in it. Whenever we pass it, when we visit, my father goes on a big tirade because he is also a marketer. And he had an experience at Friendly's, and he was like, no one was friendly to me, and I waited forever. <laughs> and so his company went after them and got them as a client to try and improve their customer relations because they That's weren't hilarious. friendly. And then you mentioned um, DQ. I also, in the Midwest, a big deal, UDF, United Dairy Farmers. Yes, UDF. Great for ice cream. Going yes. there. And I do, I do have memories of that. And I do, now you've brought back again a thing I haven't thought about in probably two decades there was a little mom-and-pop ice cream corner shop, the next neighborhood over from mine. And I don't even know if this was the actual name, but the dad who would take us there, like after t-ball practice or soccer practice, he always called it the Whippy Dip. Mm. And it was just like a little old-school classic, like 1950s sort of ice cream shop on literally on the corner. Yep. And that thing would just be hopping every summer night, picnic tables, people everywhere. You know, you could. It was one of those things you can't go inside. It's only outside. Kind of like um, Dick's Burgers and Drive-In around here. Yes. Um, you know, you can't go inside. It's just outside. Anyway, wow, the Whippy Dip. I have not thought about that in forever. Mm. Good job bringing that one up. Memory archaeology you're conducting right here. This is great. So quick fix on Friendly is I over-engineered a name for this thing. It's just called the Reese's Pieces Sunday. That's, that's it. <laughs> what did you call it? The Super Peanut Buster Blowout? What was it called? Peanut Buster Parfait, which is a thing. Okay. And like I said, I'm 99.9% .9 now sure that that is Dairy Queen. There's also a thing I remember my brother got called the Jim Dandy. And I remember that was- uh, The old Jim Dandy. That was another uh, Sunday. And my brother's name is Jim, so that's kind of funny. But anyway. Well, since we're on the topic of ice cream, so I do have one- frozen treat that i did like okay because again with my algae to eggs that meant no ice cream no cake so i could yeah. i could do sorbet and i could hmm. do um there's something a lot like sorbet what's that called sherbet yes yes sherbet thank you so i could do those too and those are the ingredients for push pops yeah so i used to love like getting flintstone push pops Hey, Ben, don't push me. Push a push pop. Push a push pop. That's right. 
great commercial advertising. They were it was fun and like novel to have like this tube that you push the ice cream up out of. Push pops were awesome. Flintstone push pops. So Ben, I have a very important question for you. Oh boy, here we go. Did you like Kool-Aid? Because there was like an ecto cooler Kool-Aid. There was a Ghostbusters themed Kool-Aid. Oh, I thought you were trying to get me to go, oh yeah. Oh, well, I mean, come on now. No, the oh, Kool-Aid man. No, oh, oh yeah. No, oh no. Who's gonna pay for this? Who's gonna pay for this wall? Uh I love that. <laughs> I, I think that was um, a robot chicken episode. Um, oh, they did that a lot in um Family Guy? Family Guy. Yeah. Family Guy. I was at that where he'd like break through the wall and everyone looks at me like back out oh, slowly oh, and awkward. Oh, sorry, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Yeah, so high C ecto cooler with slime. Well, that was the high front. C. That that wasn't Kool Aid, right? That was a different thing. Yeah, high high C ecto cooler. That's what it was, was green, so it was like Slimer. It was a co promotion yep. with Ghostbusters. Yep. Uh, you know what? I don't think I ever had it. <laughs> that is shocking. <laughs> but that would have been my jam. That would have been so good. But yeah, I don't so think shocking. I ever had it. Huh? Okay. Wait, you had something else to talk about in the second. Well, segment, right? we've got we've got two survey questions. So earlier I said they're great, and you mm-hmm. and I both said cool. Crisp. Yep. And Flintstones brands have come up twice now with Fruity Pebbles and Push Pops. Yes. So we asked the class of 80s high, what memorable ad, commercial, mascot, or slogan was effective at luring you into the salacious sanctuary of sugar? <laughs> and the first one right off the bat, uh, this guy is going to be really excited to find out one of the first commercials we did for lunchtime in our show. true. Because he goes, double your pleasure, double your fun. With extra sugar-free gum. Right? The fact that I can remember this note for note and not whether or not the candy even exists anymore is the true statement of a great jingle is what he said. Absolutely. That was a little earworm. So there's another raisin hater out there who says, I'm deeply curious whether you'll cover the absolutely hellbound and yet somehow also brilliant California Raisins claymation campaign. Are they candy? I don't know, even though I used to get them on Halloween, but they're an absolutely fascinating story about competing in that space. They even had their own TV show and video game. A video game? What? I don't remember that. That's crazy. I'm going to look that one up and play it for sure. I remember I had a couple of California Raisin toys, like action figures. Oh, yeah. I had a couple of those and like my friends and I would play with them on the bus because we had a long bus ride. But I'm with you, friend. So someone else mentioned Kool-Aid. We were just talking about, oh, yeah, Kool-Aid man. Indeed. There were several people who brought up Reese's Pieces. One person linked uh, an ad from back then that basically said pieces, every other word in the song. So it gets in your head, pieces. Right. But you briefly referenced E.T. Do you want to talk about the Reese's Pieces E.T. thing? It's the candy that Elliot uses to lure... E.T. out of the, what, cornfield or the <laughs> the tall, tall grass in their backyard, whatever uh-huh, it is. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Of course, E.T. loves them because he's smart. Because <laughs> he's a genius. No, I love this. So I, I mentioned in one of our last episodes that one of, in our, our Game Boy episode, Nintendo versus Sega was a case study that we had in college. Right. So Mars versus Reese's was another case study we did. There's always product placement and so much stuff that we see all the time. Sure. So once you start looking for product placement, if you can read the label, somebody paid to have that in that TV show or movie. Right. So uh, while they're making E.T., they first pitch it to Mars and they're like, hey, Mars, so here's this movie. It's about an alien that comes to the planet. He gets left behind. This boy kind of falls in love with him as a caretaker. They go on adventures and they try and get him home. But they want to lure him out of the tool shed with candy and we think M&M's would be great. And Mars responds, 
no, this sounds like too weird of a movie and it sounds scary. We don't want our candy associated with this movie. So this barely known candy brand at the time, they pitched it to the next one down the line. They're like, we need another multicolored, small circular candy. They pitch it to Reese's and they're like, yeah, this sounds awesome. We would love to get our candy in a movie, which like basically E.T. launches Reese's Pieces. Reese's Pieces. I'm allergic to both pronouncing it and eating it. (laughs) That has always been a pet peeve of mine, Reese's Pieces. What is it? Reese's Pieces? Just remember, it's pieces and like Reese's pieces. rhymes. Okay, uh, good. So, that's so good yeah, Ro- so Royce's Poises got really... Royce's Poises. <laughs> Huge missed opportunity, M&M's. You goobers. Oh, absolutely. Mars is kicking themselves right in the butt. Although they had their very successful commercial line yeah, later on. Yeah, for sure, for sure. They're doing okay. They're not hurting, so... Now, there have been a lot of shots fired in this episode, primarily at Chalky candy some Mm. negative emotions on goopy candy bad textures bad textures so we also asked our class what candy disgusted you back then and to this day you cannot understand why anybody else enjoyed it in addition to raisins the first two are definitely shots fired over my bow the first one just says i still don't like twizzlers again with my narrow window of candy available to me growing up Twizzlers were okay. It is actually like one of my favorite candies of all time is Twizzlers. It doesn't make them better just because it's an option. (laughs) You also have the option to not enjoy them. (laughs) You know, there's always the joke of, are you a Twizzlers or a Red Vine family? And I'm like, I am neither because they're all garbage and should be flushed (laughs) down the toilet or garbage disposal immediately. Wait, did you take the survey? Was that your response? It wasn't shockingly. All right. So the second one, do you want to do the second one? Unpopular opinion? Skittles. Skittles can absolutely pound sand. (laughs) They hurt my jaw. They only vaguely resemble their advertised analogs. And they're leaning on absurd commercials in recent years as a tacit admission that their status is a BS candy that can't keep up on its own merits. I love a good rant with lots of reasons why. I'm not a huge fan of Skittles, but I fully support and understand this. Oh my god. So this is the other one that was shots fired because again... Exact same story as Swizzlers. It was one of the only candies I could enjoy as a kid, and so I love Skittles. But I, I get where they're coming from. But I was like, oh man, to really target in. Um, this next one, I'm going to need help from you on corn nuts. On those previously <sighs> aforementioned road trips, my brother would get them almost every time, and they would fumigate the entire car. Eventually, my parents banned them from all trips. I have to ask an honest question: What is a corn nut? I remember they're disgusting. I don't even remember them enough to be able to describe them. Because I think it's one of these I tried early, I knew it was gross, and I never went back to. You're probably going to have to Google it for a little bit of insight. I mean, the picture looks like a dried corn kernel, having not lost any size. Okay. Corn nuts, also known as toasted corn, are a cracker snack made from roasted or deep-fried corn kernels. So a little more on the salty treat side than the sweet treat side. Originates in Peru as concha. Look at that. Look at that. And last but not least, Circus Peanuts. WTF. I completely agree. This is another one of those bizarro candies that you don't understand why they exist. They show up in your bag at Halloween. What is this? Well, and then they also go on to say also those wax tube things. What was up with those? Are they also trying to uh, throw shade at Twizzlers? That must be. Yeah, I missed that part. Sorry. Yeah, that must be what those are. Why do so many people hate Twizzlers? Come on! Because they're not good. Oh, you... How dare you. So I'm going to add a couple things to this list. Please. Pop Rocks. Never understood those. But sure. They like kind of sizzle in your mouth when you have them, don't you? 
They do. Wasn't there like a thing like if you ate Pop Rocks and drank Dr. Pepper, you'd die? Like your stomach would explode or explode something? Explode in your mouth, yeah. Okay. Tootsie Rolls, I thought were garbage. Never a fan of Tootsie yeah, Rolls. Yeah, it's kind of a boring, except the, there's a song, Tootsie Roll? Tootsie Roll? Sure, like that was a school but day. that, that doesn't important. make the candy any better. It does that. Um, again, a little waxy. Yeah. Not a big fan of waxy stuff. Yeah, yeah. Taffy, I never understood taffy, like sweet water taffy. I always felt like I was going to bite into it, my teeth were going to be lodged in it and it would just they would rip from my gums. Yeah, it locks your jaws together for sure. Awful. Uh, candy corn, that's another big time Halloween offender. Ugh. There's the whole joke of like no new candy corn has been made since like the mid 70s. It's just the same candy corn being recycled every Halloween. I would totally, totally believe it. Garbage. So terrible. Jello with fruit in it. Nasty. Ugh. Which leads to one of my favorite things, which is pudding that you would make at home. Oh. Heat it up on the stove and then you put in these little dishes and you had to like it have to chill overnight. And I remember being so excited and it had that little like thin skin on the top where it chilled over. I loved homemade pudding so much. I can still picture the little bowls my mom would put it in. Freaking love that it. That sounds awesome. I didn't even know this was a thing. It's <sighs> sweet. So good. And then the last thing I want to mention about garbage is Ben, do you remember the little they were these fruity drinks that were like unearthly colors and they would come in what looked like a little plastic barrel and they had a foil lid what they would be at like grocery stores oh it's stores. like a grenade it almost looks like a little grenade it it's looks a, like a freaking grenade yeah i know what you're talking about those were so gross and like they would hurt your throat when you drank them it, it felt like it was like cuts on your throat yeah there was something so astringent or unnatural in them that it would like irritate your digestive system. Again, as children, they were marketing cigarettes and grenades to us to try and get us you know, just ready for war. Also, Big League Chew. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah <laughs> They're yeah. marketing basically like getting kids ready to. Yeah, for chewing tobacco. For Come chewing on, tobacco. What the heck is going on? Ridiculous. And there was something very similar to those. I know, I think out here they're referred to as Otter Pops, but they were like the little. Um, Oh, yeah, it's just them? like multicolored juice in a clear plastic tube. Like freeze pops. I think we call them yeah. freeze pops. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah, those yeah, yeah. Are, you don't, not a fan of those. Don't like those? Again, they would like always irritate my throat. Mm, so they weren't like terrible. Like I liked ice. I loved ices. Do you remember ices? Yeah, for sure. Loved ices. You know, we didn't have Slurpees because 7-Eleven wasn't around our area, but loved ices and things of that nature. But there was just something about those in the plastic tube I wasn't a big Did fan of. Did you ever know any legends at the icy stand who went for a suicide? That's where you mix all the flavors All the flavors in one cup. I always just wanted the cola one. So good. And you just like suck all the like the juice out so it would just be like the ice with no more flavoring oh, yeah. in it. Oh, so good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All this talk of sugar. I'm starving. And I think we just said there's <laughs> fistfuls of sugar. There's just Actually, it's like jumping into those plastic ball pits, but we're just going to jump into like a sandbox of sugar and eat our way out. Yeah, well, if there's one thing that makes me uh, ready for a nice, healthy cafeteria lunch, it's talking for two hours about sugar. Uh, <laughs> so let's let's get into it. Hi, time for timer. What? No time for breakfast. Now look, since six o'clock last night, you haven't eaten a bite. Come on, I'll show you why that's really not the way for a growing kid to start a busy day. Here we are inside your body, and this noisy empty space is your stomach getting angry because there's no food in the place. Uh-oh, let's find some food fast. Now listen. I don't want you to think this is the best way to eat breakfast, but in case you can't cook, and if you haven't time for a good cereal in a well-balanced meal, then this quickie breakfast is better than nothing at all, okay? 
Hey, here's orange juice and milk and fruit juice waiting to be taken. And bless my soul, right here's a bowl with one cold piece of steak in. A hard-boiled egg or chicken leg or cheese or lunch and meat. Or a peanut butter sandwich, any time of day is a treat. So to keep your mom from grumbling and stop that stomach rumbling. And keep your legs from stumbling when you play. You've got to eat some kind of breakfast every day. So, Ben, I have to tell you from the lunchroom, the sugar-dipped broccoli was so delicious. No, it's, yeah. I just <laughs> <laughs> sugar-dipped broccoli. I'm not going to lie. I feel like I'm crashing. Uh, and that's that, that's the vicious cycle. I just need to consume tubes of pixie sticks to keep going in this episode. I think this is one of those cases where if you're in on the sugar and you're about to crash, you just feed more sugar yeah. and you just keep it going. It's a vicious cycle, what they've gotten it's us so into is. here. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay, Ben. One thing I do want to talk about here is turning the corner. There are things that sometimes you hate as a kid that you end up liking as an adult. Mm. And as it comes to sweet treats, there's just a couple things I want to mention. And I have a very important question for you. Oh, okay. So the turning the corner for me, one is coconut. Now, I don't love coconut, but I definitely don't mind it as much as I used to despise it. Mm, Okay. And then dark chocolate is a huge one for me. Like as a kid, I think it's more of an adult Oh, like yeah, flavor totally. No changes. kids love dark chocolate. That's definitely a turnaround when you get older. My mom and grandmother would always get these like fine candy chocolates from this local chocolates here in Ohio where we grew up. And I would always be so mad when I would go rummaging through that to find that only the dark chocolates were left. I was ticked. <laughs> no! Who ate all the good ones? Come on! Oh, but now I love dark chocolate. So much so that my new favorite, favorite little treat are dark chocolate peanut butter cups from Trader Joe. Oh, okay. Trader Joe is my current day treat dispensary. That place is a mecca for treats Mm. and snacks, 100%, but dark chocolate peanut butter cups. So to your question earlier, I do still like Reese's, but these dark chocolate peanut butter cups are the jam. Oh, interesting. They kind of edged out the Reese's company. Uh, Look at TJ coming through for you. That's exciting. Tej is my dealer, and I'm hooked. Have you ever toured that uh, the chocolate like processing plant in Fremont? Theo, Theo, yeah, Theo Chocolates. Have you done the tour? I've sure done the tour. They shove so much dark chocolate down your throat on that tour. It's awesome. It's amazing. I will say this though: a little bummed. There was no chocolate river. <laughs> there were no Oompa Loompas. There were no fun, catchy songs that taught me life lessons. But there was. A metric frigaton of chocolate so being much handed chocolate. out for free. Yeah, for free. It's really good. Theo's is super good. So my question to you, Ben. Yeah. In the last year or two, I think. Yeah. You've had some late-breaking developments in your allergy profile. Yeah, that's right. Tell us a little bit about that. And has that opened you up to trying any treats or sweets that were previously on your oh-no-no list? Yeah. So I did. I did a terrible disservice earlier because I didn't plug myself. And this is this is half my show, so I can plug my stuff whenever I want. Hold on, I have a question for you. Are we talking about Death by Lobster? Yes. Your book, your memoir. <laughs> right. I was going to bring this up, so this is great. Okay, so yeah, a few years ago, I published a book called Death by Lobster, Living with Allergies, which is just a collection of short near-death experiences of mine and allergies, but that is a very positive take 
on food allergies. So you can how to like still live like a pretty normal, healthy, great life while not living in fear of all this stuff everywhere. And it's kind of a good guide for parents, right? Who might have kids with allergies. Exactly. It can be really scary when you as a parent find out your kids have allergies. If you've never had it, you don't know how to deal with it. So this was supposed to be sort of like an optimistic, hopeful guide of like your kid does not have to live in a bubble in the basement the rest of your life eating lettuce. There's hope. So if you like Ben's humor, but you hate his voice, <laughs> go read his book is what I just heard. It's funny you say that. I was trying to turn it into an audio book this year. <laughs> get a ghost reader, Yeah, get please. a ghost reader. Yeah, no. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, so, so a thing that you might not know if you're not exposed to food allergies is that some of them you can outgrow. Your chemistry and your body changes over time and, and the allergy goes away. Oftentimes, sometimes it's microdosing that you, you have a little bit of that allergy, that allergen in the food that you have sometimes and your body builds up a tolerance to it and you can get out of it. Uh, this happened to me when I was 10 where I got retested for chocolate and I passed. Oh. And I remember on the drive home, we stopped at, at Kroger and my mom bought me a packet of Oreos oh. and like a gallon of chocolate milk. There's no egg in Oreos? No. Wow. Uh, now, okay. in that marshmallow fluff, if you buy like marshmallow fluff by the jar, that's like all egg. I haven't found sure. that out the hard way. But um, no, Oreos are good. And so I was just dipping the chocolate milk and that like started my oh. like Oreo love as a child. That's a good one. Um, but yeah, in 2018, I got retested and I, I turned up negative on all tree nuts. So still very fatally allergic to peanuts, but all tree nuts mm-hmm. came up negative. So this very long story that could take up a whole podcast on its own of slowly getting to try tree nuts. Uh, but yeah, there were several candy bars that I could try that had tree nuts, like an Almond Joy was mm-hmm. a thing. Uh, I had my first pecan pie. Mm. That was great. Oh, uh, Nutella. Oh, yeah. I got to have Nutella for the first time. Hazelnut, right? Hazelnut? Yeah, it's hazelnut. Uh, so it was like, it was a whole new confectionery chocolate nut Did you world. get to try anything with pistachio in it? Uh, I like just like straight up pistachios. I think I might have had an so ice good. cream at some point. Like a sorbet. All right. So so it's opened up a few things. And did you more or less like what you tried? Uh, it's a large spectrum. Okay, I, I would say right. I came out loving cashews and pistachios. Those are good. Brazil nuts were just a waste of space. Oh, they're just terrible. Why do they even Not exist? worth it. Macadamia nuts, though, very sweet. Those are good, but so expensive. That's another good jam. Absolutely. So good. Yeah, macadamia is so freaking good. Turning the corner. Good question. I like it. So other things to talk about in contemporary culture. Ben, you did a little uh, additional polling in addition to our class of 80s high. You you wanted to ask a few other questions around the block. Yeah. So here was the thing. I, I went beyond the normal survey because I was curious. You know, we, we know about our own experiences as children in the 80s with sugary treats. But I was wondering, like, what are kids like today with candy? I, I don't have kids in my family to talk to about it. So I emailed a whole bunch of parent friends, a bunches of questions on sugar in their households. I sent them two links, one to like a list of popular candies in the 80s and popular cereals in the 80s. And I was like, have your kids tried these and what they think? And so the most popular, a lot of the households said Nerds, Twix, Reese's Pieces. <laughs> yeah. And Honey Nut Cheerios. Oh, I loved Honey Nut Cheerios. That's another one. Also, they said the monster cereals. And I was like, what are the monster cereals? And I had to look back up. How many monster cereals can you name? Are we talking like Booberry? Like yeah. Those? How many? Which ones can you remember? So there's Count Chocula. Yup. Booberry. Yup. There's a Franken one, right? Yeah. Franken. 
Barry. Frankenberry. That's right. Frankenberry. Yeah. I think that's all I got. Okay. I, that's all I can remember too. But that's... The, oh, okay. Okay. They said that was all huge and a lot of the households... One one household said they even have a board game for the monster cereals. I didn't even realize that they still made those. Neither did I. That's one great. Person, one person... One mom came back to me and says, I want to buy Mr. T cereal just because it has the, the name. Oh, yes. Yeah. Do you remember Nintendo cereal? What? There was a Nintendo cereal for sure. No way. Yes, sir. That's awesome. Oh, my God. And then I got I got two opposing viewpoints. We mentioned candy cigarettes earlier. <laughs> and uh, one parent said their kid just tried candy cigarettes and said they kind of liked it. But another parent said, I wouldn't give candy cigarettes because I don't want kids thinking smoking is cool. I don't remember having them a lot as a kid, but I remember there was a definite thing. You could blow into them and the little puff of powder would come out and you'd be like, it's like I'm smoking. But right. I totally understand why someone's right. like, I'm not even going to touch that. I asked them, how do you manage sugar intake with your kids? Yeah. Most of the family said the sort of rule of like out of sight, out of mind. They just don't buy it. They just don't have it in the house. And they found that if the kids don't see it as an option, they don't really seem to ask for it. That makes sense. Yeah. But a lot of the households said it it enters really because of Halloween or because others give it to them. Much like you and I talked about our grandparents. That's how it gets in. Saturday morning cartoons was such an event. And that was a captive audience to show all of these commercials that were shows and then go to actual commercials in between. And kids don't really take in stuff like that anymore. So I have to imagine because we've cut commercials so much out of our lives now, you have to imagine that they're not seen as much as that marketing. Oh, yeah. As we did when we were kids, I think. You know, and it's interesting now, there's so much nostalgia around Saturday morning cartoons. Mm -hmm. But now as adults, when you look back on it, you're like, that's just three hours of ads. Yeah. It was just trying to get me to buy sugar and action figures. 100%. Crazy. Some parents said they used it as a treat for finishing a meal. Like if you clean your plate, you can have a thing. Sure. One parent noted that they don't really like having rules around sugar because if you make any kind of food taboo, Mm. the kids just want it more. Mm. I could see that. I could see that. For sure. Uh, I did ask what treats do your kids enjoy instead of sugar, if any. Uh, So a lot said fresh fruit and gave the examples of mangoes, mm. apples, did not specify green or red. I'm just, just in case you're about to be well, triggered. Well, for those kids' sake, I hope it's red. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> and grapes, which actually red grapes are one of my favorite non-candy treats as well. Several said granola bars. They listed a lot of different chips that they were into. Some crackers like goldfish and Cheetos. And then a whole random list of broccoli, applesauce, Kool-Aid, fruit snacks, dried seaweed, rice crackers, popcorn, uh, and anything that's in the cookie jar or under the cake dome. Okay. Any of those random ones uh, strike you odd? Like broccoli or seaweed? Yeah, broccoli is a treat. I mean, as a kid, if I dumped like a bunch of cheddar cheese on it, maybe. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah, right? But again, I mean, we also heard about my childhood. I was just near death at a moment's notice. I was yeah. either going to explode or my heart was going to stop. So, I <laughs> um, asked them what, what candies were the biggest. In their household with the kids today. Uh, and gummies came back as the number one thing. All sorts of different chewy gummy things with Swedish fish coming up a bunch. Interesting. Uh, and also M&Ms and chocolate chips. Just snacking on chocolate chips. For sure. But you'll appreciate there's a lot of contemporary children loving Reese's peanut butter cups. They're so good. Especially the holiday ones, like specifically around Easter, because... They make an egg-shaped one, if you don't know this, Ben. And it's basically a giant peanut butter cup, but there's more peanut butter because of the size. So the peanut butter to chocolate ratio is a big deal. And this one, you just get more peanut butter versus the chocolate. It's kind of amazing. That does sound epic. Now, this was really interesting. When the parents came back, a lot of the contemporary parents said that, like, 
cereal in general is not really big in their houses. It's just not something they feed to the kids that the kids want. And I, I am going to, when, when we can do so safely, I'm going to move into these houses because they said what the kids like for breakfast the most. So breakfast sandwiches. Mm. So like bacon, egg, cheese, biscuit kind of thing. Yep. Breakfast burritos. Yeah. Pancakes and waffles. Mm. Oatmeal, French toast, bagels, mm. and scrambled eggs. Yeah. Kids. That's what kids, they're not doing cereal, Lucky Charms. That's They're eating what we would want to get if we went out to brunch. I can kind of see that though. It sort of makes sense. I think- us growing into adults, finally realizing this probably wasn't the best thing that our parents let us eat, and maybe we should change it up a little bit. Yeah. If it's not a, a common everyday occurrence, they're not necessarily going to miss it. Oh, yeah, exactly. Makes sense. One of these parents pointed out something that I can't believe I didn't know existed, and I'm going to buy. Oh. Toot Sweet uh, is dinosaur oatmeal, which has dinosaur eggs that hatch into dinosaurs as you pour the bowling water over them. How did... Ben not know about these. That sounds awesome. And oh, more importantly, how did these so-called friend parents of yours not tell you? Right. It's all I want for my birthday from now on. So then I asked about like frozen treats. So what kind of like frozen things do kids like to eat today? Mm-hmm. And the parents, I mean, resoundingly came back ice cream and popsicles. I mean, let's Those be are the real. main main food categories in there. With fudge sickles being really high up. Okay, I, I need to throw something in here because I can't believe I forgot to mention it. Yeah. Something that doesn't exist anymore, but was so freaking good. Jello pudding pops. Mm. You can't get them anymore. I freaking love those. Yeah, Fudgesicles yeah, yeah. and pudding pops were the jam. I feel like I can see the ads for pudding pops <sighs> back in the day. But anyway. Yeah, yeah. Had to throw that in there. Well, and then just brownies and cake pops, which were cake pops a thing when we were kids. I feel like I get those all the time as a wedding favor. You know, cake pops are definitely a new invention. Like, it's a new thing. They're good. Yeah. I mean, it's, okay. you know, a little, little ball of cake. But yeah, I don't think it was a thing back then. But again, uh, it's portion control, right? You're not like, here's a giant <laughs> chocolate cake of big plate of brownies. Enjoy. It's more like, oh, here's one little cake pop or two. Yeah, you can't like sit there and like snack a bag of cake pops. I mean, don't tempt me because I will. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Don't tell me what I can't do, babe. I will try. And then just a few like fun little anecdotes. I was just like, hey, what else What else do you want to tell us about candy in your household yep. or sugar in your household? Uh, a lot of the parents of multiple children were just like, my kids like the opposite things, which makes my life insane. Mm-hmm. Trying to like manage mm-hmm. this. For sure. I love some sort of like realization one parent had where they were like, this survey, these questions are making me realize that my kids' exposure to many things, but in this case, candy and cereal is in direct correlation to my own like or dislike of things. Mm. I didn't eat a lot of cereal growing up, so likewise, my kids don't eat a lot of cereal. Sure. The only reason they've tried a lot of the candies that they have is because I like those candies. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was interesting. One household, you know, trying really hard to avoid sugar. We try really hard to buy unsweetened stuff like natural peanut butter or unsweetened applesauce. But when we go to the grandparents for the holidays, mm. all the rules are out the window. Says grandparents, man, they are the pushers. And they just go nuts. Ugh, grandparents. And the last one, I just love these stories. So to quote, hands down, sugar is the biggest motivator in our household. Our kids will do chores for a piece of candy. Uh, our daughter it was potty trained for chocolate chips. Mm-hmm. They get it taken away if they aren't being good. It really is the best parenting tool in the world. So thanks, Modern Families, because I didn't know anything about any of this. That's great. I'm so glad you took that little deep dive, got some current contemporary perspectives. Reporting live from the suburbs, (laughs) coming at you. Back to you in the studio, Chris. Back in the studio, Chris. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Thanks, Ben, for that sweet detail. Oh, my God. To one of the parents' points, 
There's sugar in everything. Oh my god, it's everywhere. Wine? Some places they put sugar in wine? Ugh, disgusting. We want to talk a little bit now about the dark side of sugar. Ben alluded to that earlier. I feel like a monster and a hypocrite because I'm drinking a giant glass of hot chocolate right now. I mean, (laughs) obviously we're not going to do the show and be like, down with sugar. You know, we're going to take it to the sugar lobby, but uh, (laughs) we're going to burn Stevia Corp to the ground. Stevia Corp. Sweet and low has been brought low as of a giant explosion. (laughs) Rocks their main manufacturing. No, so obviously sugar is bad in excess. We're not going to sit here and say we don't want it at all, but we know a few things, right? Yep. We know it has a ton of terrible, terrible health side effects. Yep. We know it's in all sorts of processed foods. And if you go out, eat out at a restaurant, it's probably packed with all that stuff. It's also coupled with socioeconomics, right? We know that there are parts of this country that are called food deserts. They don't I'm so get, glad you brought it up. Yeah. They don't get fresh fruits. They don't get fresh vegetables. They have mostly processed, sugary, packaged stuff in their communities. And when you grow up in that community, you're not necessarily well-educated about food and nutrition. And so it creates this just nasty, vicious cycle. And those foods are cheap and accessible and available. And of course, they don't spoil. We know there's a lot going on here. Ben, I know you have lots of other stuff to add in. What did you find? I mean, I'm glad you brought food deserts. That's a huge, one might say like a health crisis in the United States. Honestly. Because of cost and supply chain and lacking the facilities to keep cold uh, fruits and vegetables good for a long amount of time. So like that's a big problem. So that's where a lot of this starts. But uh, yeah, one thing you mentioned, it's sugar's hard to track because when you look at ingredients labels, it doesn't say sugar. Right. It could say brown sugar. It could say corn sweetener, corn syrup, high fructose corn syrup, honey dextrose, fruit juice concentrates, invert sugar, malt sugar, molasses, raw sugar, turbinado, and any pretty much any ingredients ending in os are derived from sugar. So the American Academy of Pediatrics says that eating and drinking too much added sugar puts kids at risk for obesity, tooth decay, heart disease, high cholesterol, high blood pressure, type 2 diabetes, and fatty liver disease, among others. Mm. So there's a lot of health risks that can come from eating too much sugar. Again, it's not really a natural thing found in our diet. Yeah. I mean, sugars, glucose in general is is in living things that we eat, right. plants and animals, but it's not something we should be eating at these quantities. Right. This is all marketed to kids. There's people out there pounding their fists, punching their dashboards, screaming at this podcast. I'm never going to listen again. Don't you touch my sugar. It's pure. It's beautiful. I have warm memories. And exactly because that's how it was marketed to us all as kids was these cartoons of so much fun. Yeah. But unfortunately, at some point, we have to leave that time behind, grow up a little bit and recognize we're trying to live beyond the age of 12 and to do that, you've got to reduce your sugar count. So yeah. AAP, the American Academy of and the American Heart Association give a lot of great tips on what you can do to try and lower your sugar consumption, especially with your children. It's about 25 grams or six teaspoons of sugar per day for children two and older. So you were saying you would do a spoonful of sugar. Uh, so if that was a teaspoon, you could get away with six of that in a day and that that's enough. But, uh, kids under two should not be eating or drinking anything with added sugar. It's just not good for their little growing bodies. Yep. Uh, those two organizations suggest serve water and milk instead of soda, sports drinks, sweet tea, sweetened coffee, and fruit drinks. Watch out for hidden sources of added sugar and a lot of processed food. You think of things like ketchup, dried cranberries, salad dressing, baked beans. All these things have added sugar in it. Yeah. Fruit is always a great alternative. 
And lastly, uh, limit 100% fruit juice. You see a sign that says 100% fruit juice. You're like, oh, this is natural. This is pure. Uh, it has more sugar per serving than a whole fruit. Yeah. So anyway, there, there are some tips for our modern parents on how to you know be a little more responsible with sugar and sweet intake in your house. Yeah. The only other thing I found I want to talk about was uh, there was a TED Talk that Jamie Oliver did. Oh. Teach every child about food. So really this big push for education. He had this program that he was doing in Virginia. And they show clips in his talk where he's holding up vegetables and asking kids what they are, and they're just misidentifying everything. And it's a little terrifying, but he also demonstrates how much sugar is in school milk. So we talk about oh, milk, yeah. and these school milks are actually adding sugar to it. And he said that those cartons of milk can have as much sugar as a soda. And to demonstrate mm. how much sugar is in there, he brings out this giant wheelbarrow, it's full of sugar cubes and he starts scooping them out. And then he finally dumps the whole wheelbarrow and says, this is from milk alone over like a five-year period or something like that. This whole wheelbarrow full. And that was just school milk. Oh my God. So anyway, it's a really good TED Talk if you want to go check it out. Jamie Oliver, Teach Every Child About Food. And then he does go into the whole idea of food education and how that can be a really good bonding experience between two people teaching someone how to cook and use ingredients oh, and all yeah. that kind of stuff. So I thought that was another great lesson. I think we need to finally put the sugar on the scales. We need to see how this stacks, how this adds. How this snacks up? How this Ooh. all snacks up. So I have to tell you, I have mixed feelings. Yeah. Clearly, this was an indelible part of my childhood. All of those commercials... And to learn how much of a like concerted adult ploy this was to sell me things, like I knew it was a thing, but to see it in just like this clear of a instance, I was bummed. But clearly, I know now as an adult that was not sustainable living by any stretch <laughs> of the imagination. And we've already talked about all the health risks, and so I'm certainly not putting down my dark chocolate peanut butter cups. You can pry them from my cold dead hands, <laughs> Mister. But. We can continue to promote healthier lifestyles, make good choices, and enjoy those lovely sweet treats in moderation. So that's my final ruling on that. How about you? Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure I can put it much better. I'm right there with you. Like on the positive, the ads themselves and the cartoon characters are kind of fun and I've got great memories around those. And I'm trying to separate for myself Halloween and candy. Like I'm a fall baby so I love fall season. Mm. I love trick-or-treating, but that is different than the, the candy itself. Yeah. And like I said, I've always been sort of a salty snack person and not a sweet person either. Sugar itself, like candy and desserts and confections, again, stunted by my food allergies, <laughs> you know, kind of never really were big for me. You know, in modern times, if you walk through the grocery store, obviously the people, the, the brand managers and the companies who are pushing these products – would say that it still really holds up. Because you go down the cereal aisle, there's tons of sugary cereal. Mm. You go down the dessert, frozen dessert aisle, there's tons of ice creams and fudge pots and popsicles. So obviously whoever's making this, people are buying it. So they still got it going on. You know, for me personally, I would say these sort of sugary treats don't hold up. Um, you know, what we know now so much more about the health risks of overconsumption of sugar um, are really bad and really dangerous. I remember when a friend of mine in early high school got diagnosed with um, diabetes, and we never had any friends with diabetes. And it was like a huge thing to hang out together and like 
check his blood sugar and you know fructose tabs that we had to be ready to help him with from his fanny pack. Mm-hmm. I remember all this. Mm-hmm. It doesn't hold up because now we know the health risks much better. And like I surveyed all of you know the parents that were open to chatting about this. Sugar doesn't play a big role in those households today. And those and to be fair, those responses all came from the United States, but they honestly came from coast to coast, the mm. people that I emailed with. And it's just out of sight, out of mind. The kids don't really beg or fight for it. Some families once in a while use it as a carrot on the stick to kind of <laughs> a sugary carrot, a sweet carrot. Yeah, exactly. But otherwise, it's just not as big of a thing as it was I feel like when we were when we were little. Yeah. That's how I feel. That's right. That's where this, the sugar sits on the scale for me. All right. Before I crash and burn and fall asleep on the couch, you better hurry up and tell us what we can expect in our next episode. You, first of all, this is not your first podcast rodeo, right? Fact. Now, we are, we are plugging a little bit on this episode. Can you just give us a little taste of what the other show was about? Sure. It's called Creative Commoners. And we were talking about being creative in your free time and finding that space for creativity amidst your busy life. And you're talking about different forms of creative expression, be it writing, music, cooking, whatever. See, that's great. It's a great show. And now it's still out there, right? People can go listen to it. People can find it. If you're dying for more content because you have nothing else to do, you can still go find Creative Commoners. We're not on Spotify, but you can still find it, I think, most other places. Yep. If you like Chris's humor and also his voice, you can go look for a Creative <laughs> If you can't get enough of this ridiculous voice of mine, you can hear right. 150 episodes worth. So it was this great show about creativity. And for me, I have always felt that creativity is this great intersection of the resources you have with the imagination that you possess. Much like we talked about in forts, whatever you could find in your house to make what you envision. Yeah. And when we were growing up, there was such an inspirational source for me for creativity. Is this why you asked about cocaine earlier? Is this what we're talking about? (laughs) It's the 80s, baby. (laughs) Cocaine in the 80s. A source that had an incredible imagination using the resources around it that inspired me as a child to come up with so many adventures on my own. And what made me think about this topic is, you know, last week it snowed so heavily across almost all the United States. Mm -hmm. And I was walking around and I saw someone had built a big fat snowman in their front yard, but had stuffed like little kid snow clothing in its mouth to look like the snowman had eaten a child. That's terrifying. And it rema- it reminded me of something fantastic that I was like, yep, that's the topic for the show. Okay. So next time on 80s High, we're going to delve into the classic, imaginative, hilarious, beautifully inked pages of Calvin and Hobbes. Ah, Okay. Yeah. I never really read Calvin and Hobbes, so this will be a new little adventure for me. Well, grab your stuffed tiger or other imaginative toy, make your transmographer out of an old refrigerator box, and strap in, because we're going to go along the wonderfully imaginative, creative, and hilarious comic book pages of just a little boy and his tiger, Calvin and Hobbes. That sounds very exciting. I'm excited to learn a bit more about it, have a good experience, talk about it next week. Also, everyone, speaking of good experiences, you too can own Death by Lobster, Living with Allergies, by our dear friend here, Ben, in ebook or paperback formats. Go to Amazon.com. Check it out. And we'll catch you next time on 80s Eye. 
Thanks everyone for listening to 80s High Podcast by Ben and Chris. Our theme song is by Greg Reed at gregreedmusic.com with vocals by Chad Bumford. Show artwork is by Alex Goddard at alexgoddarddesign.com. If you like the show, please support us by passing a note to a friend in your next class. Also, you can rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts to help spread the rumor. Stay radical. Stay radical.